Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Spotlight. I'm one of your hosts, Liam H. Dempsey. I'm also joined by my usual co-hosts... Matt Brothers, hello. And... Uh, Paul Wilson. And we are joined by a special guest who is a returning... Needs no introduction. No, but we're going to give him one anyway. <laughs> a returning special guest... Greg Locke, who has been on the show multiple times before for our Final Frontier episode and our Nemesis episode. Champion uh, of the Unliked. You, yeah. you basically, and, and with this as well, you kind of bring me on for the franchise killers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're so yeah. glad we have a fan <laughs> in all the bad... Well, I mean, you kind of joined us in trashing Nemesis, but Final Frontier, you were here to defend and kind of, I think it's going to be similar for Enterprise as well um, yeah, was, against the host. Golden years of 2001 to 2004. Like, you know, this is <laughs> the greatest. This is prime track. Okay, <laughs> as I say, we are here today to talk about Enterprise, once known as Enterprise, later known as Star Trek Enterprise, uh, when they realised no one was fucking watching it. <laughs> Whack Star Trek onto the front, it'll be fine. Uh, Greg's an expert in Star Trek, as he's actually the writer and director of a Star Trek fan film, Ambush. Um, we've been talking to you about that for quite some time, Greg. Just because uh, it's we... been going on for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> You've been sitting on that making of episode for years. <laughs> like, uh, but that's that's still in, in the process. It's still in the pipeline. It's still it's in the process. Still, it's still I, happening. Yeah, previous guest uh, Thomas Savile is also involved in this. So, Tom, if you're listening, get on it. Uh, <laughs> but Greg today is going to join us to talk about the pilot to Enterprise with these TV episodes what we've been doing is watching the pilot of the series and then watching a mystery guest pick um, which we're not going to reveal just yet but Greg has chosen an episode for us to watch to try and convince us that Enterprise is worth the watch. Uh, Greg you've kind of told us about your credentials with Star Trek before although you did surprise me earlier we went for dinner before this and I thought that you're a proper dyed-in-wool Star Trek fan, you can't watch everything, and you revealed to me this isn't the case. I haven't seen every single Star You've Trek episode. You've seen every episode. You said, oh, get that, out, get out, right? <laughs> you said that DS9 you haven't really got on board with. No, no, I haven't. No. Oh, why, why is that, Greg? I've just never really got into it. Clicked with you. Is it, what have you watched of DS9? Because I'm with you on this. I haven't got into it either, but like, what is it with, with you? Maybe a similar thing. I think I just don't really find the characters interesting. They're just... You didn't, you didn't include the characters. That's a big thing to get you to carry on watching, isn't it? That's the same and with... Yeah, it just didn't really do anything. It's I think that they don't go anywhere. Literally, right? they don't go <laughs> <laughs> They've literally... And, yeah. It just doesn't... Not much happens until you get to, obviously, the Dominion War, but... But who's going to stick around that long? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Previous guest Alice is furiously <laughs> tweeting is in right the car. now. Towards <laughs> <laughs> the picture persistent, I believe. Yeah. But you're not here to talk about DS9, Greg. Oh, no. no. You're here to talk about Enterprise. But I think it's just like, what is Enterprise if not a show about a business startup? Uh, <laughs> which is what everybody thought it was until they realised that it was Star Trek. Yes, so we're going to start with Broken Bow. Uh, which is the, as usual, with Star Trek series, two-part mm. feature-length pilot. And this would have come out just after Voyager ends, right? Yeah, it was literally the same year, different kind of seasons. So this was the broadcast no 
on September 26, 2001. So Voyager's just ended. September 26th? September 26, 2001. Just waiting a dose of uh, Star Trek in dark times. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I didn't even think yeah, about that. Correct. I didn't yeah. even think about it. Just a couple of weeks. Yeah, 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 you were thought, although I would, I would say... Perhaps this Star Trek series is not as hopeful as the others, maybe. No, as... actually, maybe maybe ahead, too ahead of its time then, almost like... Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, possibly, possibly. So, yeah, Voyager's gone. So this is now, we're in the situation, which hasn't happened for a while, where this is the only Star Trek TV series on the air. The TNG films we've are still... still got, we've still happening. got ne- Insurrection and Nemesis, haven't we? We've still got Nemesis to come. When did Insurrection come out? 98. 98. So, so Nemesis, it's just Nemesis still now. to come come to go to keep us going um the but final nail in the coffin but yeah no this is the only uh show on tv for star trek now so i think star trek is clearly still still popular still kind of like uh going i mean this debuted uh with 16 million viewers mm. which is a big number even for those days and was a 42 percent increase on the Voyager finale in terms of ratings. So that's that's yeah, a that's big quite, pick up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So people were interested. So anyone let down by Voyager finale would be like, right, time for another shot. Well, I don't know what the uh, consensus the is on finale, that. Well, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, Endgame. Okay, Although, Greg, you said it's I, the best Star Trek finale it, earlier. The finale is Oh, hell yeah, right in that high then, yeah. yeah the the finale, finale, if I recall, is really, well, not what you expect, but also really good. Yeah. yeah. But wow. it's so satisfying in, a, in, in an unexpected way. We'll probably talk about that on a forthcoming episode at some point um, but yeah Enterprise Broken Bow written by Rip Berman and Bran and Bragger uh, so they're completely unwilling to bring any new blood in I mean this is the this is the old this guard very much right this is essentially a full reboot because it's for the first time it's going backwards so it is like yes. as close to a reboot as they're getting at this point and yet well, they're still bringing in the old guard to. I remember it. it being a really big deal at the time I don't know whether you guys do when this series came on I remember yeah, it being I a, lot of, yeah. a lot of hype it felt like there was more hype for this series than like DS9 or Voyager when it started yeah I remember because it was in the era of uh, the the, original, the series being released on DVD for the first time, yeah. and so it would include sort of five minute to ten minute kind of electronic press, press kit, as they're called EPKs, it's sort of just to kind of like prime people up for it. And I remember like very specifically um, a uh, uh, Enterprise sort of behind the scenes, sort of showing clips from the show and, and people talking about it and, and there was definitely the bit about the phasers having two settings and it's just like oh look how kind of like look how messed we are yeah starting out exactly only two settings for this and that being kind of like this is not what you're going to expect this is going to be different Star Trek so as before I've managed to source the bible for the show off the interweb and there's a starts off with a good bit of backstory which is good to understand here I won't read it all but it, it says here we could have had a crawl before this <laughs> oh yeah this could have really helped this time uh, but it basically says Enterprise takes us to the year 2151 midway through the transitional period of everything leading up to the original series since first contact up to then uh, interstellar space travel is in its infancy and the United Federation of Planets is still decades away headquartered in San Francisco's Prezi Presidio, and at the Utopia Planitia in orbit of Mars, Starfleet has been in existence for less than 20 years. So it really is the early days mm-hmm. of everything. Because I was watching the pilot trying to work out what is in existence and what isn't. It's like Starfleet, yes, Federation, no, yeah. first ship, and the Very got stuff. the military feel of it. It's like it did feel a bit like Stargate SG-1, mm. where it's like the military are running the, running the show. 
Um, but that's just an aside. But, but that that doesn't come across that Starfleet's actually been established in the pilot. Well, apparently the idea was to make it a more basic and relatable series. Um, and, you know, I suppose it is more basic. And Baseball caps and ties. Yeah, and I suppose it's, <laughs> it's more... It's more relatable because it feels closer to now, doesn't it? It's smart casual. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, I mean, what do we think about this? Kind of going, the first time it's gone backward, do we think that was a good idea to explore? Yeah, Yeah? absolutely. Because I I think that, you know, we'll we'll get onto this when we we talk about this being a franchise killer and uh, franchise fatigue and and what, but I think this, Star Trek at this point, definitely needed... To do something drastic, yeah, to, to keep it going, to keep it contemporary. So I was definitely all for this, you know. I mean, I, I prefer Godfather Part Two over the first one any day, all yeah. because of the De Niro scenes of going back and seeing how things became, how the Corleone Empire, yeah, yeah, my favourite kind of Absolutely. material from Godfather. So I, I was yeah. basically just make the film just for De Niro scenes, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, so I was Godfather def- complete saga available on VHS. <laughs> 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 uh, edit- chronological cut. Was have it? you seen that one? I haven't. No, no. I've, I've heard so much about it, but <laughs> so people actually I know have seen only seen it that way on the, wow. the video cassette, which edits the entire Godfather film it's in, part in one chronological two, version. Isn't it? And, yeah, so it's, it fills in like a lot of this part two flashback stuff with deleted scenes as well so that whole section lasts almost over an hour wow um, so yeah it'd probably be interesting to see but it, uh, like you got, you got to take the final versions as the, yeah. the gospel though, yes yeah, oh, yeah definitely definitely so yeah so no I think this was definitely a needed direction um, so yeah I was all for that okay uh, did, and did you honest, watch this when it was originally I screened Greg I did yes and I think that um, that was because I think I was at the point where I mean, this was kind of like before I sort of read up on things on the internet and, you know, you didn't really know, it's like, oh, you just, oh, there's a new Star Trek series. And I think even I was a little bit at this point of like, another one, really? Mm. And it wasn't until someone actually said, oh, no, 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 this this one goes back. It's it's 100 years before the original series. Okay, I'm, I'm now in. Is it 100 years before? Yeah, yeah nine, that's 90, what they say. So I think mm. it's... 90. I think they say it's 90 years since first So contact. this is... As, mm. as Matt said, I think this was 20, 2151. 2151. Yeah. And the original series is 2264 around yeah. there. Okay. Like, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's supposed the, to be 100 years after first contact. 100 years after first contact, that's it. Yeah, 100 <laughs> yeah, years after first contact. 90 or so years before. The yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Like, um, okay. We, and you, Paul, so is this is this real? Are you portraying us again? Did you watch this when watch it was the on? Pilot. Yeah. Watch the pilot. Did you watch any more? <clears throat> I don't think so. No. Okay. So you this. So you haven't watched any more since. I think I, this I, think is I got. I think I got like franchise fatigue. Like right. I, I watched the pilot. I remember remember seeing that. I can't remember how long after it aired that I saw it. I don't know what the circumstances were. I have very clear memories of Voyager and how I kind of come across the finale and sort of wrap that up. But I can't remember my Enterprise sort of. I think it might, might have been Sky One. I don't know, but it's just it may have been just that point where Dad cut us off. Like, you know, <laughs> I think it. Of, I think it might have been Sky One. It's, it's a weird period. The period that it's airing because it's got two. If it's got feet in both eras in my head, because some of it kind of looks 
quite 90s. Yes, the same year as Voyager's ending. And Voyager, to me, feels very 90s. Well, it's, it's, the, it's the last one in, in an Academy format, yeah. like, isn't it? And so this is the first one in 16 by 9 widescreen. Everybody's turning to widescreen TVs. Yeah. And uh, as it goes on, stuff like the more prestigious HBO dramas are really kicking into gear. And then by the time you get 2004... Well, we have a HBO titty, titty bar scene, don't we? Like, but for PG yeah. audiences. <laughs> <laughs> so it's weirdly in the middle of like not quite new, not quite old. And it, for that reason, I think it's just stuck in my head as being this weird anomaly in time and TV like history. Well, yeah, it does feel like an anomaly um, because of the fact that I think, as you say, Greg, I can see why franchise fatigue may have set in because... TNG, DS9, and Voyager, I think we've discussed this before, all feel of a piece mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, even though, don't get me wrong, they're different crews, different stories, but they very much feel interconnected within their same kind of shared universe, whereas Enterprise seems set apart tonally, stylistically, kind of like story-wise. And names different. They didn't yes. put Star yeah. Trek in the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Desperate. Like, they were actually ahead of the game in terms of thinking, like... We want more shows, but we can't call it Star Trek because we want the franchise fatigue to set in. Yeah. We want people something fresh and we might get some new audience here. And we'll make it proto-Star Trek because yeah. they're literally not as we know them yet. I mean, there is a real effort, isn't there, to kind of step away from that previous style, not only in kind of the way it's shot and well, stuff, mm, but... The, the theme music. Yeah, we'll I mean... To that. Fuck, you know, yeah, we will get <laughs> on to that, definitely. But, yeah, I mean, it's funny, because I actually watched, much like Voyager, I watched the first, like, five minutes of this pilot back in the day. <laughs> gave up I remember the bit with the Klingon kind of running through uh, the reeds and stuff and uh, yeah I kind of gave up after that did Klingon fight the future Um, I think (laughs) I can see again it's funny how with Voyager I could see why I gave up I think it's a similar thing where I watch this opening it's kind of intriguing sort of exciting but it doesn't really seem about anything and kind of seems instantly jarring for the uninitiated which is not what you want with this show like surely you want something that's really easily accessible for someone who's never watched Star Trek before surely that's the idea of this and that kind of opening kind of pre-titles for me didn't make me go oh well, I know exactly what's going on here it kind of mm. just seemed kind of well what mm. what's this I mean you look at the way Abrams first Trek film yeah. starts yeah. and that's how to yeah. bring on anything that's the hook that's yeah, how man. you start a kind of like franchise isn't it completely or even you know I would say to a degree like how kind of Discovery starts at least kind of even though they don't establish straight away kind of you know what the show is I think it does get its hooks into yeah, people yeah. quite early on in terms of like gripping them. And I don't think it helps that these early flashbacks look like an eighties Australian soap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you that strange, one. <laughs> it's funny strange. that I mentioned Mad Men. Of course, and the reason I might have mentioned it is because uh, Archer's dad in those flashbacks is played by Duck from Mad Men. Um, ah. who's uh, yeah one of uh, Don Draper's that. alcoholic rivals mm. <laughs> he's um, one of those actors who's in every show because I know him from Desperate Housewives the oh is he in that as well <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah like uh, so yeah what did everyone else think about this uh, pre-title should we go around then yeah uh, Greg you, you, you. well, well I, I liked it but I can see why I liked it from a trucky perspective so, okay so my first thoughts were once we got past like Archer making his um, model uh, spaceship and you get the cornfield with the clean on. I, I thought it was just a nice, refreshing, none of this scrolling text <laughs> stuff, which I understand from 
previous episodes I've listened to, we weren't a fan of that. Yes, uh, yeah, we're, we're yeah, above yeah. beyond. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was just. I thought it was really. I personally would have just cut straight into that sequence. Um, but I think the main thing which stuck out for me was when you, you first saw the Sulabon, the the aliens chasing the Klingons, and for me, I was just like, this is what they would have done in the original series if they had the money and the technology. Mm. And so mm. I can understand why, from a non-Trekkie's perspective, that would be quite jarring. But for me, as sort of a, a Trekkie by this point, I was like, oh, actually, this is awesome. I'm already on board. I can see what they're doing here. They're going to make it feel, hopefully, a bit more like the original series. These are really cool new aliens. Mm. Um, bring it on. I, I'm excited. But, and then I, I did love seeing... I, li- I like seeing Earth in Star Trek so you know because it's the only place you really where you don't see this dystopian grimy future mm. you know actually get to see well it still seems reasonably normal yeah, doesn't it, it doesn't seem like the farmer, far the farmer has a shotgun granted it is like a plasma shotgun but yeah. it's still I, like I was going to say that still like get off my porch <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, say, you can still relate to it as, yeah the farmer get off my land kind of yeah I, I think there's a bit of a Smallville aspect of it wasn't it yeah. I, I um, really liked the beginning actually oh. I, I'd forgotten the model making scene completely that was a real surprise I do recall from not just the promo but from watching it the uh, a corn uh silo being exploded and that kind of thing and I you know I really like the alien Suluban like as well because you know you've got the Klingon to to ground you if you're an existing fan but also having the new alien um, it did feel like an original series alien and I thought also it reminded me of Stan Lee's Tales of the Watcher which is this comic strip that came alongside my Star Wars Weekly (laughs) uh, which is just these like one-off sci-fi short stories I think probably a bit like your kind of um Sort of Judge Dredd. What was that like? Oh, four, Future Shocks. Well, 4000 AD. 2000 AD. 2000, oh, 2000 AD, yeah. 2000 yeah. AD. It did feel like those kind of one-offs, you know, high-concept shorts stories. Yeah, yeah. these, were, just, these were the future... Farg's Future Shocks from 2000 AD. Yeah, so and it just is. felt like an alien from that, almost. And just sort of... recognised would be kind of humanoid, but just mm. a little bit kind of colourful, and I liked that. And the added benefit of, you know, being able to do the CG... Going under the door and stuff, so you yeah. can push, push that bound. Yeah, a bit more. it was like a really fucked up version of Witness. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what about you? I thought it was a really interesting concept that, you know, Klingons are alien to us at this point, and I think they could have done that reveal maybe in a bit more interesting way, because the idea of we're trying to work out. Yeah, because this is meant to be first contact with Klingons, like yeah. this moment, isn't it? So at this it, really? point, it's like first contact was with Vulcans and since then there's been a few interspecies like uh, student exchange basically kind yeah, of programs yeah. but the idea that this is the first time humans have seen the big bad essentially of the whole series Klingon could have been revealed in a really cool way rather than just how it is but it's an interesting yeah. like kickoff, and yeah it quickly gets into getting on the ship and everything so yeah um opening theme music I assume it's a massive fuck off from all of us yeah that's what dates the series the most I think Uh, I think the visuals are great but yeah Mm, the visuals are great yeah Um, I I, I don't know why I guess they were trying to separate distance themselves Yeah, well, this I, is what uh, I assume. I like try the and make bridge really near the end. I think the last like seventy-five percent to the end, like, right. um, is good. Um, and I like the souped-up version, which we'll get to. Yes, yes. I think yeah, it works better. Drum beat version. Yeah, like uh, DJ Mega Mix. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you said, I think that that is very much an example of along with the title of try and make it seem like a different kind of thing. I, I, I assume that they must have been thinking that the kind of big sweeping score would maybe put a new audience off 
and they no, were charged the time. No, I think they would put, put, put new audiences off, which is what they went with in the end. Like, oh yeah, well it's certainly, it's, but it's, I think it's a in their heads. It's a, it's a misfire. But yeah. like, I love the um, the fact that you, you definitely get the sense of watching these two episodes of the danger of space exploration, and I think seeing some Apollo astronauts and that kind of thing in there reminds you of like mm. the, the the sacrifice and the and the tenacity of those original missions by NASA. Yeah, it's I mean, all the... linked, and I think that rem- grounds it really, really well. And I the only thing I'll say about it is like you have the the effects from First Contact looking so great, and then you have some CGI sort of two thousand one era stuff that doesn't look so great immediately after it is a bit jarring for me yeah. as, a, as a stickler for these things <laughs> the theme title yeah the theme title sequence itself is really interesting of like kind of and actually feels quite for a theme title sequence actually conceptually feels quite ahead of its time in terms of having that idea of showing space flight kind of like in its different ways mm. building up until and ending the at the first enterprise which of course yeah. is still in the past everything we know what did we think about the new <laughs> ship itself i mean i i thought it was quite uninspired it's a bit in terms weird. of visual design yeah in the way that the voyager ship is as well but it makes sense from as a proto- the voyager ship it, right? it makes a, sense it, as a proto enterprise it is a talk it is a, always been a big talking point oh, really? so, so it was designed by doug drexler who um he wanted to go in a different direction um he's gone whether he's just said this in hindsight i don't know but from what I've heard, he's yeah. he's always said he wanted he didn't even want the saucer on the front of the ship. Oh, really? Um, he wanted to go in a completely different direction, and it was the producers. Well, they, 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 producers, they always get the blame. Um, it was the producers who wanted a more recognisable ship, mm-hmm. so they wanted the traditional elements of a Star Trek ship. So your saucer, your tuna cells, mm. and um, it's caught between two worlds, isn't it? Because it's like they're trying to do all this stuff to do, make it separate. But what but... they do is they do have elements on it which I think do date it before the original F- uh, Enterprise. Mm. So look, just the little things like. You know, you've got like the red domes on the nacelles, that's very mm. original and retro. Right, right. Um, just the way that you can actually see the whole plate in is a bit more, you know, realistic. Yeah. And there are elements of yeah. it. Which... I think if, if it wasn't for the shot from First Contact before, it, all of this stuff would look great. I think it was the first one rendered in high definition. And uh, I think the detail on the, on the CGI model of the Enterprise is great, the NX-01. Um, I, I'm actually a really good fan of the design. On the second viewing, which I, is the first time I've seen this since it aired, I really liked it. I, I, what is this? So, sorry, what is this shot about First Contact you're talking about? What? The um, Phoenix, um, I, I presume. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So in the opening um, titles of yeah. the Enterprise, when you get towards the space stuff towards the end of it, you got the shot of a phoenix, the first warp ship from right, and that's actual it's footage from first contact. And it's first contact. They they get um, James Cromwell back, yeah, yeah, for a camera. Was was that, that was that was nice. When they that started nice. mentioning Cockney, I was like, oh, Cromwell's going to turn up. That's Imagine it. it. Thousands of inhabited planets at our fingertips, and we'll be able to explore those strange new worlds and seek out new life and new civilizations. This engine will let us go boldly where no man has gone before.
And Archer's got the statue that uh, Geordie LaForge uh, talks about in First Contact. It is actually right. amazing. So he's yeah. looking at the stars. I a small statue. Is that coming later? It's in uh, at some point. I don't. Know, it probably was oh, on the plan. That's a really point, nice touch. On Archer's desk, there is a. Uh, he's got a little mini statue of Cochrane pointing up to the stars. <laughs> I love it. Right. Okay. I mean, that's the funny thing about this, isn't it? Because considering it comes across as if they try to appeal to a new audience. There are quite a lot of little bits and pieces of fan service in there, which feels like quite an early adopter of that kind of fan service mm. idea, doesn't there? Well, it could well, have gone yeah. like way more than it does, which I find quite refreshing. Yes, it does, yeah, because exactly. it could have been like, you know, every little thing we know that they're teasing, whether it's transporters or the phasers or anything, just be like them working it out. But from what we see from this, it's only kind of Klingons are new and the ship is new, but it's not like loads of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. There's no winking going on. It's just mm. like how it is, which is good. What was it you want to say about the budget of this pilot? The most expensive ever? Oh, well, no, the, I, I wasn't going to say that. Our, our previous guest, Roger Lake Jr., said that it was the most expensive pilot at the time. Yeah, I'm like, well... I don't know whether that's true. I'm well, going, I'm saying, going like, on Rogers. I can Rogers buy, I can buy it because buying. I just think like what was around in 2002 that looked this huge epic. Oh, well, I would say because sort of for someone who's still seen a lot of more of the rest of the Enterprise episodes, I would definitely say this is probably the one of the most visual effects heavy episodes out of all mm. of the run. Eventually. Right. Okay. So I, can, I can see this being... This is cutting edge, like, HD rendering of, like, this thing, because this is, like, the, this is basically the beginning of a new era of television, isn't it? Yeah. I was, yeah. It's, it's actually it's, a pioneer of, of sorts, would you say, Enterprise? Yeah. Did, uh, did you, do we know Voyager existed as a model, or was that miniature work? No, it's all CGI. So the whole was, show from 95 to 2001. Was Voyager all CG? Yes. Right, okay. No models. Look, um, mm. Because, it's weird, because in this I think the CG but only it's down and death as well the whole run yeah I mean it's funny because like when I think back to the Voyager ship like itself I kind of almost feel that feels slightly less noticeably CG than this ship does kind of thing like, I think you, you can know. hide it better when you <coughs> yeah. have, there's a little bit of fuzz behind it but this is like yeah, this is you're probably right. this no, is... take no prisoners mm. it's yeah, too yeah, clean yeah, yeah. you can't hide anything yeah, yeah. No, that's, I, think, I think you're probably right there definitely um, so we're introduced to Captain Archer Scott Bakula who I would say probably up until this point is definitely the most famous actor at the time yeah. to have been cast well, as a thing. Uh, Obviously Patrick Stewart has become famous later, as has like some of the other captains, but at the time they were cast, Scott Backer actually was Chris Pine. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Was actually well known for being in Quantum yeah. Leap, obviously. Well, yeah, because not just famous, but being the lead in another sci-fi show. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a very popular sci-fi yeah. show. Like, you know, what wonder, do, you know, did that have any backlash from Trek fans? Were they like, you can't have Thingy from Quantum I, Leap being I never captain. watched Quantum Leap, but I don't... I, I remember sort of seeing interviews with lots of the other cast where they sort of uh, felt a bit nervous that mm. we actually do have a, star, a TV star... Yeah, on our I, oh, show. He's like the, I, I know because I, I again I never watched Quantum Leap, so it didn't really. I, I always watched Sliders. That's my yeah, one. Yeah, so. I too. Oh, yeah. I've seen some Quantum Leap. I watched an episode where Scott Bakula spends the majority of the episode in a dress. 
This is quite funny. Can, can you give me that one? <laughs> he ends up like he's uh, because the whole thing about quantum leap, isn't it? Is he always it ends up in the body of another person, but you keep cutting between the actual person and Scott Bakula playing that person. Mm, yeah. And he's a woman in the episode I've watched. Sold. And uh, <laughs> it keeps coming back to him, and obviously people are trying it on with him, and he's like, oh, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> uh, also, you know, for recent Scott Bakula action, look no further than the It's Always Sunny Philadelphia um, season 12. Yes. yes. When, the, when the gang turned black, right? When the gang turned black. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful half hour of television if you've not seen that you need to get a bit of Bacula singing as well yeah that's great and also of course he was in Steven Sodenberg's uh, Behind the Candelabra oh, as well cool. like uh, and was Steven Sodenberg's last ever film <laughs> oh, oh, he, no, also, he also had a, a very brief part in American Beauty did he? Yeah, he, he is. Was he the plastic bag? <laughs> no. We're, we're never going to watch that again, obviously, because Kevin Spacey. But um, so, like, watch, so, what was he um, doing that? He is, um, he's, you know, uh, Chris Cooper's character. Yeah. He's got the gay next door neighbours. Right. Scott Bakula's one Scott Bakula's one there. So they knock on his door and it's him and it's Scott oh Bakula. Oh my god. That's amazing. And he That's shoots them instantly. Yeah. <laughs> actually, the first time I wonder why we watched that film since, <laughs> since 2000 uh, just came up. Yeah, nothing so, to do with Spacey before. He just didn't want to watch What are thoughts on Scott Bakula well, and Captain Archer? Here's a little thing from the Bible about Archer's character. It says, Unlike the captains in centuries to come, Archer exhibits a sense of wonder and excitement as well as a little trepidation about the strange things he will encounter. Do we agree with that statement? I, I really get the see this. Um, I made the Star Eight SG One parallel earlier on. I really get the vibe of this kind of um, sort of at first explorer into the unknown vibe of like the Colonel O'Neill type character. Mm. Um, what's the name of the actor that played Colonel O'Neill um, in the show? Oh, I, I forgot about him. Alice, so. tell us. It's Kurt Russell, and that's the only Kurt O'Neill Russell, and that's the guy. That's the only O'Neill. Oh yeah, Alice, <laughs> Alice, Alice MacGyver. Okay, yeah, MacGyver. <laughs> MacGyver in Stargate SG One. Uh, uh, you know that, that, that's what I really thought the prototype of the mm. Archer character was. Um, this kind of like you know he's, he's got a, he's a face a like man. a spitting uh, spitting thingy puppet and a delivery oh, spitting image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but a delivery like John Wayne in some yeah. lines. I think it's he's cool. he's got this little military kind of drawl about him. And there's a particular line later on which he, where he says, uh, "I hope this is the last time somebody takes a shot at us." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's uh, he's come mini arc for the episode uh, the pilot seems to be dealing with his prejudices about Vulcans which I thought was quite interesting because it was quite weird to have a uh, like Starfleet captain uh, certainly at the start of the series of kind of Roddenberry's kind of non-conflict kind of style um, be quite embittered against another race at the beginning I mean he's like threatening to like Batter a Vulcan yeah. woman within like well, two well, seconds. Well, he's trying to be really ethical. <laughs> yeah, and, like you know, at the end he does actually. You know, he owns up to his kind of thing and says like, you know, uh, yeah, I've got to move past my kind of problem with Vulcans. If I'm going to pull this off, there are a few things I need to leave behind. Things like preconceptions, holding grudges. This mission would have failed without your help. I won't dispute that. I found this idea of the Vulcans being the kind of superior species yeah, yeah. and kind of keeping the humans a bit on the back foot was quite interesting. It's like just babysitting or something. I really like, you know. loved all that setup. Mm. I, I was that first scene. Really, I enjoyed the kind of you know Earth is the transferring from the military to to a more kind of unlightened space 
Starfleet body, it's like you definitely get that transition for the uniforms, for the, the, the dialogue, and you can see the, the wonder kind of starting to set in where they're kind of pushing back against the Vulcan, kind of holding them back. I really liked that sequence. Well, he's holding a big grudge, isn't he? Because it seems like his he dad never like, got yeah, to they, see his dreams. Because of Vulcan's put a downer on. But I didn't think that was as like in necessary. I think you got that from kind of just like him sort of almost representing the human race. You didn't even yeah. need that, like, you know, uh, flying with daddy you section. Feel you need that extra kind of extra white. Extra kind of like of hammer at home kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought like the whole sequence where, you know, they walk onto the bridge and he sits down in the chair for the first time and they fly off for the first time was really quite, you know, awe-inspiring because it's like the very first time mm. kicking off. And he had a really uh, signature way of getting in his chair and kind of leaning over, which I think oh, yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, I, I didn't really know. I did. put his own little stamp on it, I think. I did appreciate though the uh, the model making scenes. You know who hasn't sat down with a dad with a pot of homebrew paint. <laughs> it was quite funny when they mention again another little fan servicey like nod where they mention up putting seatbelts in, and you're kind of like, "Well, I ain't never doing that." Like, like <laughs> yeah. although there is a there's a cut scene or something, isn't there, from maybe Nemesis, Nemesis I think, where they do put seatbelts in. Yeah, like this is two hundred years later though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It took them those safety regs hundred years. Yeah, it's so it's moving like uh, a health and safety department. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and what do we think about the uniforms that they've got here? They're kind of like overalls, aren't they? I like the little mm. colours. It's another, on device, the, uh... it's another device. If, uh, is it? Is it? I've heard that, that lots of people don't like them. What? What's the problem? Just because they don't look Star Trek enough. Right. Where I like. I I love them. I like them a the lot. The functionality of them. That yeah. is what you would explore space in. Yeah. And yeah. they do have the little line, coloured lines on everyone's And they revert back to the original uh, rank, sort of V for code and like yellow for command, red for Is this something that develops during the show towards season four? Or is it... So so basically, in in Next Gen, um, Picard and Riker and all, they wear red because red is for command. But in the yeah. original series, the command guys wore gold or yellow. Yeah. So Kirk and... Yeah, they would check off more gold. And if you look, Archer's got the yellow bandings on, so yeah. they've gone back to the original series yeah. colour coordination. Right. Okay. Ah, okay. So from, from the pilot, they really set that in, so it's very much yeah. into the original series. Actually, there's a real through. They've line done a bit there. of her homework, and they've gone back mm. to. Well, because at the Andorian, like, uh, turn up not long in season one, apparently. This is this is the other. Thing, this, we'll get onto this of why I, I love Enterprise so much is they do bring back a lot of original series aliens, which and do they they maintain the look of the original series? They, aliens? they make it better. Mm, they, really? they they update. They do stick to the main look, but. It, look, it looks better. Is yeah. it the way that the new Doctor Who, whenever it revisits an old, yeah, movie, I would say, gives it a fresh. I'll say, but not as far paint. gone as like Discovery right, right. has, and because um, you know Discovery featured Andorians, but that's a quite a fair bit away from the Enterprise Andorians, mm. and it's a reinvention, isn't it? In a, a yeah. Discovery, whereas this is very much alluding to the original design, it's but like putting it under a kind of HD two thousand one microscope, you know, it's like what's going to hold up. Exactly. Well, the Klingons here, of course, very much look like reminiscent of what they've done more recently within those yeah. shows in TNG, in DS9, <laughs> rather than going back to the original series. When so they were just people, basically. Just, however, <laughs> I say. 
That, that does get explained. Oh, really? Uh, so oh, okay. In season four, there is a there's a two-parter where they explain why there are smooth foreheaded Klingons in the original series. Right. Okay. So you kind of feel like by season four, it, I will leave that. <laughs> they're going. Oh, only you've got at least some surprises that people are going to be turned to Enterprise by this. Podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's very, very true. So, of course, this brings me on to the MVP of Enterprise. Poor Foss. MVP. Every most uh, valuable. Player. Yeah, there you go. You've heard that phrase. MVP? Have you not heard of this? Somebody, so and so is the MVP of the show or the game or the whatever. The most valued person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. So Paul Foss, the dog, Foss, the dog uh, absolute little legend, loving him. So you're the person who like voted for Eddie, like being the best. <laughs> <in the radio. laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he did. And, like that dog doesn't act as an animal. <laughs> I should win the Grammys. <laughs> like it did. He, he, he did remind me of Eddie a little bit. I hope there'll be lots of promoted to series regular. <laughs> I hope so. I There'll be lots of poor boss like hilarity as the uh, show goes on, you know, and ex- extended comedy sequences. This is, of course, uh, poor boss returning to our screens after Captain Dogs. Oh, oh it's him! I recognise him. Is, what, oh. is it the, it dog is the same dog? Oh, what a stunt! That, that, that film was also two thousand one, so it's yeah. really his. Oh man, year that was such a great summer, Matt. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> like, let's just run through some of the films. I did we this watched. yesterday with someone at work. Two thousand one. Yeah. So, Captain Dogs, Tomb Raider. A Knight's Tale. Which is good. Which apparently. is good. Yeah. Um, what else do we say? Mummy Returns. Mummy Returns, yeah. Mummy wish it fucking stayed away. <laughs> <laughs> this was what we had to live with back oh. in the day. I mean, I love the original Mummy yeah. film, but Mummy Returns. I, I, it's funny, I actually did this with a friend the other day saying... Planet of the Apes. Yes. We were talking bird. about how people go, like, oh, there's too many comic book movies now. <laughs> Everything like that. And I was like, well... To I be fair, I don't talk like that. I was, I was like, well, to be fair, number one, you're talking about superhero movies, and there's only about five of those a year. Number two, like, if you took those away, do you think they would still be those? Because they're always going, oh, well, like, there'd be more original films if not for all these. I'm like, no, they wouldn't. They'd just be other blockbusters. Would you, would you prefer 2001's blockbusters, like, brought over to now and replacing oh Infinity yeah. War and Horrendous. Amber. A horrendous lineup, yeah, I must say. Awful. And also, great films are being made all the time. You just need to yeah. know where to look for them. You need to go and watch them and support them at independent mm-hmm. cinemas. Yeah, exactly that. Like so, shut up! And go and see, <laughs> and go and see a quiet place. Yeah, a big fucking quiet. Oh yeah, which like most it. America is doing, which is amazing. Like so, yeah, that's, yeah. This is going to date this episode in four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, Snap number thirty. So I, I, I get a feeling I'm the biggest fan of Poor Foss here, but that's that's fine. Like, uh, no, I liked him. I'll give you like. That. Uh, is there any Poor Foss centric episodes yes. coming up? Oh. There are, wow! God. Right, I got me. Why did you pick that one? <laughs> you just made me want to watch this series way is, more. Is there like, an episode uh, where Porthos and the Vulcan get trapped in a, in a, in a, in a like a pod somewhere? And have bottle a episode yeah. with Porthos. Just like, mm. yeah. um, not, not only a couple of Porthos episodes. There's also big plans for Porthos if they got to go on. <laughs> oh, if they got to go to season five. So we, right, we got a petition to bring the show have, back. I love the show has forgotten. Dogs are the first like beings into space, aren't they? Porthos yeah. becomes big bad of season was five. It, was it chimpanzee? <laughs> Goes evil. <laughs> Gets turned into balls. So we've also got a new Vulcan character. This is uh, Topol, um, who 
I think is clearly the seven of nine of the yeah. show. And when I say well, this that, is, this is a Brannon Ragnar kind of uh, oh, show, right? Okay. <laughs> when, when I say I don't mean in character. I mean, in the sense of it almost seems after seven and nine, we have the, to have our token, yeah, sexy yeah super sexy yeah. model, super tight <laughs> costume, kind of yeah. like. Uh, God, I remember, funny enough, the the scene where her and uh, Trip kind of like rub oil or whatever it is onto each other. I can um, believe it. I was like, like, what is this like shower scene? Well, basically. I remember that scene I I was... like. I must be dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that scene got a lot of play in the uh, like public. Well, no, in the publicity for the show. Like whenever there was a clip played, it was always that clip with so slow we, jazz. Yeah, <laughs> like, this was the era of soft porn being like you know the thing. Like you know, hardcore porn was like inaccessible. <laughs> you had to go to like a, a, a shop for it. This is the only way you were getting. Yeah, it. This, this is like actually really titillating. Yeah. You don't. You don't well, I've got, I wrote so, down that very word here, titillating. <laughs> <laughs> about that scene though it's one of those things where much as yeah okay it's her nipples are ridiculously erect like, but um, it was actually quite equal opportunities exploitation that scene because Trippy's pretty ripped and he's getting a lot he's yeah, pouring the oil on as well what well, I guess <laughs> <laughs> okay I really like my, my sexual yeah. but, um, I am straight but I also was actually paying more attention to Trip's but I was like very impressed <laughs> well he's getting he, he, He's getting more of his kit off than the, the, the vulgar girl. Yeah, so we're going like, down you go, like, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I was, and like you said, so you were surprised, uh, Matt, because it was more extreme than you thought there would be. Well, at it's this almost stage like there. I, I wouldn't say this is the case, but it's almost like they were learning the wrong lessons from having a character like Seven of Nine, the yes. last show, being like, again, let's write another sexy character, and then just to make sure people get it, let's give her like a gel. De- uh, decontamination straight scene, away, straight yeah, away. Yeah. and I understand mm. it will draw people in especially in the pilot but again like you say with Seven of Nine I also think she's a really interesting character so it's not just a case of and I don't think Topol at least based on the pilot yeah. is as interesting a character as Seven of Nine appeared to be in the episode what we, we watched saw, yeah, yeah. last time yet mm. would you say Topol improves Greg? absolutely yeah I, uh, yeah, that's all there is yeah. to it. I, I really I like think the in, in the pilot. She is very much like it's Vulcan the way or the highway, mm. and it's. And I think, but you need to start the way. Don't yeah, you really? yeah. You need and, to and she, I think she does. Room for growth. She does. She's one of the characters which has one of the better development arcs okay. overall. That's interesting to hear. Could I uh, get your ranking, Greg, of like what your preference of like what, for you, what you what you find the most interesting characters like going down is? Who's your favourite in Enterprise? Yeah, in Enterprise. only this show. Uh, Malcolm Reed. So who plays? Uh, oh, the, plays Do- Dominic Reed. Keaton, who plays Malcolm Reed. Yeah. Which uh, one's Malcolm Reed? The uh, weapons guy. Yeah. Is the, he the British? The stiff upper Brit. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. He's number one for you. Yeah. Okay, so he really comes into his own, does he, later on? I think so. I think as, as well, I think it's just for my, my allegiances of, uh, you know, we have a Brit. <laughs> your patriotic nature. on Star Trek. Allegiances <laughs> <laughs> is not dead. Yeah. <laughs> is, is your worst, is your least favourite character? The Royal Starfleet Air Corps. <laughs> <laughs> is your least favourite character the Doctor? Because he was No, very actually, annoying. I think uh, probably Travis is going to be the helmsman. Just because I don't think he really gets the do much. Is that Mayweather? Mayweather. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 
He just well, doesn't get to, uh, unfortunately, he doesn't. He gets a couple of. He's like the Kim ones. role, isn't he? A bit of but a he, newbie he and stuff. He is for Harry oh, yeah. Kim of. Enterprise. I'm going to say he's the long lost son of the guy from the Salako crew from Alien that talks about, <laughs> talks about uh, like Ontarian Poontang. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Very much interested in like some interspecies relations. Speaking of um, T'Pol, there's an interesting note I just found. T'Pol T'Pol. Interesting note I just found in this Bible. And at the bottom of her description, it says in brackets, as a special note to fans of the original Star Trek series, in the episode A Mock Time, yeah. a powerful ancient Vulcan woman named T'Pau will share a great adventure with James T. Cook. Could this be the same Vulcan? Perhaps. Do we do answer that for you? <laughs> yeah, can you, Greg? Uh, no. Uh, um, <laughs> I thought so I stumbled upon some A bit of trivia. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Originally... Um, T'Pol was supposed to be T'Pol, who is the high Vulcan priestess in the Amok Time episode. Right, I remember her being like, that just lady. watched Amok Time recently, yeah. So that is how, so that was who T'Pol, I don't know why they didn't go with that in the end, however, right. season four, T'Pol does show up as a character. Ah. Oh, okay. So you do get a young hmm. T'Pol. Oh, interesting. So they deliberately try to so, separate it out and go like, yeah, no. I'm not too sure why different. at the time they just didn't have the, the balls to fully commit to. Mm. to Maybe it. they just wanted to do a lot of different stuff with the character or leave open room for it. It might not have worked if she'd been tied into canon. Talk, you know, talking about that guy um, earlier on, you said was the uh, less what's his name, the bloke who's banging on about women with free tits and stuff. Uh, Mayweather. Yeah, yeah. I thought I was like, they, Mayweather. Uh, and they, <laughs> <laughs> they land on like the Total Recall planet. Oh, I, was, like, I was really thinking Total Recall. I was thinking, what would Paul Verhoeven do with this? <laughs> uh, yeah. And what would he do with that like sex scene in the bar, like with the titty bar, like <laughs> Paul Verhoeven's track? Well, you know, in a world where we Show could track. get Tarantino's track. <laughs> It could happen, like uh, um, eating the uh, breadstick with a knife and fork. That's a weird scene. Mm. She'd never make it as an MP, is what I thought when I was uh, watching that. <laughs> I couldn't really see that. I was watching it in the garden. There's too much sun on my screen. <laughs> so, <laughs> as you and you were trying to cut up a breadstick with a knife and fork at the time. No, I did. I, I went indoors to watch that, and it was. Fine. <laughs> I was to see that. Um, so we also have Hoshi. The uh, oh, language specialist. I like woman. her a lot. It's funny. She reminded me of because of the job she's doing. The uh, concept of the character that Amy Adams plays in Arrival, the uh, recent kind of sci-fi yeah. film. It seems to be an interesting idea, and I yeah. did think it was an interesting idea. Yeah, she's all the attributes of her is the screen time of Amy Adams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so she was an interesting. Uh, character seems to because yeah the first contact thing with the Klingons like it it is a case of you do feel like it should be more I suspicious do. Yeah. I think there should have been some kind of demonstration of the uh, back like <laughs> whatever it's called it's, it's the big bladed thing the back jobby, which has been the back that lift. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> uh, which would you know, which has been now banned as a weapon uh, by the UK constabulary. Is um, that right? Yes. Oh, we can't be yeah. clean. You cannot buy that now. Um, and so build it around your bedroom in your in your robe. Um, but um, yeah, I thought they could have been some kind of demonstration, a bit like the Pakistan Indian border. You know, have you ever seen the videos of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he could have been just whirling that around, and then the guy just shot him down like that guy in Raiders of the Lost Ark. That would have been the first introduction. That would have been a really kind of humorous way of doing it. Yeah, no, I I just felt like you know it needed for the Klingons. It needs to be a bit more kind of you know of when they first turned up, and I think one of my issues. 
with this pilot is much as there is an effort to make it feel like you know far more basic and kind of relatable i do feel like sometimes it does feel as if too much has happened already like even things like the alien doctor what, what's the alien doctor Flots. yeah even things like Flots being you know fully staffed onto that ship kind of felt a bit like oh this this feels too soon for kind of you know aliens outside of the Vulcans at mm-hmm. least to be kind of interacting like, I, yes, I kind of I would perhaps said it slightly earlier why couldn't it have been and set like straight away after first contact also, he was also uh, the one kind of like I felt like he, the choice of voice for the character was very kind of like reminiscent of like the sort of sort of mid-Atlantic accent you got on the Starship Voyager yes um, just, he just he, the, the, the voice the character the actor chose for I mean maybe he was told to do it that way but it just felt very kind of very Star Trek Voyager era and I felt like they could have done something different with it he's mm. he's a bit too geeky He yeah he feels like a throwback I've, to those earlier series I, I basically always saw Flux as the for Neelix of Enterprise yes exactly that's what he feels like non-starfleet outside of you just had a guy that sounded exactly like that yes exactly everything about him yeah I mean do you think that's a case of they thought look Neelix is amazing the Star Trek the Star Trek cookbook has sold out <laughs> like yeah we, we've got we've got to get another character <laughs> like him on like yeah I mean even the act they even look similar like the actor yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. He, he really does look he is uh, what's his name John, John Billingsley, Billingsley. Yeah, he Billingsley. has been in other stuff hasn't he he's right. in ever. he's one of those actors that's in one episode of every show yeah. ever made right okay so you get a lead I've role I've seen him in Prison Break I've seen him in 24 like yeah, yeah. so I wasn't too sure about that. Um, With um, what's the name of the uh, linguist again? Uh, Hoshi. 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 You know when she does the uh, she demonstrating to the students like the language that she tries. <laughs> I bet they work back from what the actress could do and go like nobody can follow that. Something she's really can she could do that sound effect. <laughs> yeah, right. and nobody can do that. <laughs> um, trip seems very dumb to me. Seems like a real fucking hit. Is it, it, do you just not like southerners? <laughs> like, yeah, not anymore. Like, no, like, uh, we like English southerners. He just um, but it, what's that? It's that very thick, <laughs> deep south kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's just that bit where they're on the planet and he's kind of getting out of his pram about the woman, the breathing apparatus mm. with her child. I'm like. I was watching it, I was like, I'm not from the future, mate. And it's fucking obvious what's happening. Like, you I, know. I've seen the same scenario in Asda. You don't start smashing up the place. He just like, smashes up your gear. And, <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. and even after he's told what's going on, he's Good still like, me. well, I'm not sure. <laughs> I still want to jump in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just like to go away, mate. What's wrong with you? You've got some, going all up a Vulcan, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Hoshi's um, character where she's um, she's almost a little bit of the audience as well because she's not used to space. She's like basically a TEFL teacher um, of, of Earth and she's like whipped up into space very quickly and, uh, you know, Archer has to kind of like bend her arm to get her up there. And she's the one who's most like pulled off by the, the advances in space technology at this time where she's very worried about you should, do you think you should stand so close to that? I really appreciated mm. those lines that she had to like ground the danger of this show um, so I think she's really in the pilot particularly she's a really good character to have yeah I mean 
the pilot itself in regards to i think we talk about lighting quite a lot earlier um before, before we, we start before, yeah before we started recording <laughs> um and it is interestingly lit isn't it this show in general well they didn't like, use lights apparently <laughs> yeah, yeah. but i mean it's it's atmospheric yeah, lighting yeah. isn't it that's utilized a big, for i had a big Enterprise. note just about the lighting for the guest episode please we'll get on enlighten to. us <laughs> oh well you want it do you want to for say do you want to say oh. for the next episode because yeah, there yeah. is a bit of it early on in this i mean there's quite a lot of moments where they kind of really well the, obviously the lights the power it's actually goes barry off. linden <laughs> yeah the, <laughs> the power actually goes off at one point <laughs> Um, oh, that whole sequence as well was really cool. That's yeah, cool. that's quite creepy. With them crawling on the ceiling the, the and the bloody descent or something. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, oh, was, like that. that was good. Yeah, that was actually quite creepy. And later on when they go save the Klingon, the, the lighting is very atmospheric and stuff like that. I've got to say, you all like the like new villains in this. What are they called? The Sulaban? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like them. Well, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like, okay with Sulaban. Like, I, I just thought I didn't really like their no. design. I thought they were a bit boring, and I was oh. like, are they, are they are they big villains for this? Great? They do come back. Okay. They're not the biggest villains, right? Okay, they okay. do. They do come back. But yeah, no, I wasn't. I wasn't a big fan of them. Have we got anything else to say about Broken Bow? Well. You know, we, but does it get resolved? I, I actually don't know what happened at the end. No, no it doesn't. This is why I was remembering the plot. <laughs> this, this is why I was asking really, if they come back. It's really strong pilot, and it's like it's only up to the book where he's in the kind of um, the time warp chamber where he's slightly out of phase with time and space, and you've got that kind of repeating archers there. He's on the um, sort of space station. He's managed to jets in the pods, and he's there with essentially the big bad of like that's directing the Sulaban in the present time to do what they, do their will. But there's it doesn't really resolve itself. I, I thought there was going to be to, to quote Stargate once again. I thought there was going to be a moment where he like has that fight with the person and he puts him on the floor and the door comes down and severs their head, much like in Stargate. I thought that was going to be what was happening there, but it didn't happen. But I I, I don't know what actually. They didn't. They, there was a bit where they take the blood back to the, the the Klingons and what? Well, there was a whole thing about these aliens being capable of time travel. So, do you know what happened, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> we, we need some help here. Can you this... explain the plot of Broken Bounty? <laughs> the main plot is they return the Klingon back to Quonos. Yeah, but they've got this overriding arc with the Sulaban and the temporal cold war. It's called. Uh, basically, again, this was apparently for producers' decision, was to, despite Enterprise being set in the past, they still wanted something futuristic in there. So they put in this plot, which you kind of hear about in dribs and drabs, mm. where there's hundreds of years after the next gen and Voyager, huh. there's this big time war going on, not the one with the Daleks. Crossover. And there's time agents and temporal it's called the temporal cold war and it's basically been fought across time and there's elements of it being put into the, yeah. the uh, seasons is, of uh, is it true that they just never got around to resolving it before it was cancelled and they had ideas um, on who that big bird in the pilot was and it might have been Archer from the future yes. and stuff but, yeah, but it did, did, they did kind of resolve it but I don't think they resolved it in the way they originally no wanted to certainly yeah. not resolved oh in this pilot well I mean, that's the thing then. I keep coming over this correctly. I did not know what the fuck actually so happened. So the idea was, that I think, and again, this is where, this is, I, I don't know whether it's a good thing or not. One of the reasons I do like Enterprise is because this is when they do start to 
try and focus on the season as a whole. Yeah. Mm. So this is a first pilot which actually takes you, like, it's not going to wrap everything up. It's not mm. a 90 minute special mm. where it's like that's a contained adventure. So if the contained adventure is, yeah, delivering the Quinn on back mm. to his home. Yes. World. Which. Yeah. I mean, the weird thing is, for me, is like the the whole delivering the Klingon back to his home would seem like quite a thin plot for a like two part pilot to me. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, maybe that's because they were also trying to set something else up. I don't mind that in that you basically set the stakes so low for you know Earth spacemen in general because yes. you know actually delivering a Klingon back to his home world is such a massive gesture when you kind of frame it that way. Yeah, yeah, uh, but. The Suliban thing, you know, if you just watch Star Trek Voyager, that's just an episode of the week, you know. Yeah. And so yeah. I think you've got, you basically, you have to realign your expectations quite a bit of Enterprise initially if you're, uh, if you're following the show. And for that not to be resolved and kind of like, well, who is the big bad? That kind of thing. And then still be left with those questions. It's something you're not used to yeah. as a mm. Trek viewer. And small tasks can be huge to this crew because of the lack of tech and not knowing what's out there and stuff. So you could have stuff that would be really simple for Voyager crew to just achieve or one of the others. And then That's here it's very really hard. true, actually, isn't it? And also, I suppose, as an audience, we know um, that the Klingons, at this stage at least, are you know pretty aggressive and actually a diplomatic mission at this point with involving them could end up becoming well, this whole really. thing could have been about the Klingons but yeah. it's, it's not it's almost like a side thing isn't it yeah, yeah. Know, they're, they're not I mean, they, they, they allude to the Klingons like ferocity a couple of times but that's not really the driving force episode it's all about the Superman it's weird it? how they decided to put the Klingons up front and centre but then not focus on it because yeah, that yeah. could have been like what the first season built to to like the conflict you know coming in contact with the Klingons for the first time and it being a much yeah, bigger deal yeah. and maybe the first like two three part or well, that could have, that, for first thing that, that first scene could be done at night the mm-hmm. Klingon could be hardly seen the, the, you know it could be in the glint of the bat <laughs> you know and just like you know all hints at and that could have like yeah. really teased the shit out of this thing with the Klingons and yeah. I just thought that it was all kind of very they get like a message and it's like Klingon audio and we the fans know what it is maybe and they're like don't know what, yeah. don't know what they're saying yeah yeah the mystery is very kind of like laid out front yeah. centre isn't it but yeah I, I think Broken Bow Overall, really kept me gripped, well, and okay. I and I was I was I was um, up into like the last three quarters. I was really engaged, and the last little bit, I just kind of lost it a little bit because I didn't feel it wrapped up. Like, yeah, what do you think, Liam? Uh, yeah, I think this time I'm going to go against the grain a little bit on this one. Like I've got to say, based on this pilot, because what we've been doing really, Greg, with the last couple of episodes is kind of stopping at the end of the pilot saying, would we have gone on to watch more kind of, you know, after this pilot at the time, and whether or not, and then we obviously watch the kind of guest episode and yeah. see if that changes our mind. And just based on the pilot alone, I don't think I would have watched more at this stage. I mean, as I say, when I originally watched the uh, show, I kind of tuned out after the first five minutes, but this time, you know, I was committed to watch the whole thing. Um, and I, yeah, it didn't really grab me. I, I thought the plot was quite thin. None of the characters were really kind of, kind of standing out for me in this one. And yeah, it yeah. just didn't quite get to me. Bacula has presence. And yes, he's he the, does. He's yeah. the only kind of standout for me as a, as like a, a TV actor. Like, but but also it just has that kind of almost could have made it a movie. See the John Johnson. Yeah. of this show isn't he yeah, yeah 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 like you know he almost you know he was offered the role of John McClane in Die Hard and turned it down 
Was he? Was he? Yeah. Everybody was fucking off at the <laughs> well, Yeah, that's true, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, you know how much like Bruce Willis was paid like for the role of Jonathan? Yeah, how much? I know it's small. Five million dollars. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. From Moonlighting to Die Hard, they offer Bruce Willis five million dollars to play John. Were they that desperate at that point? Well, no, it's, just like, it's amazing. And like, well, do you think they, they got their money's worth? I think they fucking. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But you think this is a bit of a, a sideline here? <laughs> but I, I just love this fact. I just think of like Don Johnson crawling through the air vent, like Miami Vice season three, like Don Johnson. Was Don Johnson offered it as well? Yeah, everyone was offered it. Everyone like, was offered yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I would. Well, originally it was going to be Frank Sinatra. Oh yeah. Well, this is the He had. They had to offer it to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's like, oh, thank God he turned it down. I mean, that's an interesting, different version of Die Hard, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah. I mean, but I mean, the thing with Johnson is at that stage, I think Johnson too sexy to play McLean at that stage. To yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, Willis, it needs to be a bit. McLean needs to be rough around the edges. Yeah. Our old friend is too smooth. Louis Ackerman uh, <laughs> always said, like, he loved the fact that he could chart, like, McLean's decline through his hairline. Right. Through the through the four films, well, three films at the point he told me this. But, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, just like, uh, it's great, you know? No fucking hairline in four or five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, at all. Um, what, what five never happened? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll choose to believe uh, it didn't, but then we'll have to temporal wipe our memories after still battling to erase it. Uh, Greg, I, you watched this at the time, didn't you? You carried mm, yeah. on watching it, so you were obviously sold by the pilot at the time, or were you like, "Well, I'm not so sure, but I'm going to give it a chance." Wasn't too because I did actually have a bit of a break during Enterprise, oh. so again, just the first two seasons of Enterprise don't really go anywhere, and I sort of came back in season three but no I, I did keep going for a little bit after this right so, okay so you you well, think it gets its kind of mojo it, yeah mojo it takes a while season to, three to pick up and, yeah. it, and is but, it right that your film Ambush is inspired most by this this series or this timeline or is it somewhere there's else? a lot of enterprise in Ambush yeah. um, we're set at, I mean, I I we're set at the same time as the original series but there's a lot of influence of mm. but totally yeah. it's kind of inspired by Enterprise I totally got that from the second episode we, we chose which we'll get to in a moment yeah so Matt would you have kept watching after Broken Bow I mean <laughs> I don't know I can't put myself in those shoes but based off this I did like the relationship between Archer and uh, to Paul and, and the relationship most people had with her actually I thought because I thought the cast was generally quite bland mm. compared to some of the other ones there wasn't much standing out at first especially on first impression apart from Paul Foss of course <laughs> he, he was brand new but um, but the but seeing what T'Pol could do with each character was really interesting. She was a really good anchor for everything. And I think I did read that they deliberately wrote the series to be more about a trio of Arch T'Pol and Trip. And Trip. Trip. Which makes sense. Yeah. Of, yeah. So based off that, I would, have, I would have chalked it up to a bit of a missed opportunity in terms of plot and where they could have kicked off from. But I, I may have may have continued at this right. stage. Okay, so ever so slightly lukewarm. Very Paul's a bit more positive on it. But we're now going to move on to Greg's pick for us. Greg, what have you picked for us to watch? So you are going to watch Damage. And this is from season three? Season three, episode 19, I believe. Right. Out of how many in the series run? So what's the average on, on Netflix? Yeah, 
halfway to 23. So really fucking near the end. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've kind of been a bit mean by chucking you right into the middle of... Well, yeah, yeah. very useful, like, <laughs> uh, previously on. Oh, I kind of, if, if, I, if the rules were different, I would have gotten you to watch the episode before as well. But I thought, oh, that's just... We could have watched both, Greg. We could have done it. <laughs> but, yeah. so, but it would have broken the rules. <laughs> well, this episode is um, the the Enterprise NXA-1 is, is reeling from an attack by the Zindi um, who uh, basically withdraw at the last second. The Enterprise is about to be destroyed, leaving it in a crippled state. The Enterprise is drifting through space with no impulse drive and warp drive is incapable. It will take them. They have not the parts to restore the warp drive. The, the whole point of the episode is really revolving around the... Um, point where they come across another spacecraft with warp capability um, and they could exchange uh, parts for some things but they couldn't get the warp drive off them so essentially they're forced into the position where they have to use force to get the warp drive because they feel the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. <laughs> so they've had seven million dead on Earth. The potential of a super weapon being developed by the Zindi is too much to like bear. The fact they will compromise their values um, to basically take technology off a uh, unsuspecting race is that worth it overall that's the question as episode posits Sorry. yeah give us your version of the previously because I, I, I <laughs> well, the previous the previously is so basically a, a bit about season three then hmm. so towards the end of season one of enterprise the ratings were dropping already they could quite right <laughs> so, like more oil <laughs> so they basically decide when they came around to season three they decided ramp things up a little bit and they basically effectively did uh, kind of what Discovery's done where they've had a continuous story basically going they still right. had a couple of standalone episodes but the, the majority of the season story. 3 was this seasonal um, the, 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 the Zindi War basically mm. so at the end of season 2 um, a big chunk of Florida is effectively wiped off the planet Right. So is it right for being the part of the subprime mortgage crisis <laughs> of 2009? <laughs> um, and basically they find out through sort of bit of like jaded uh, intel that for Zindi, this new species of aliens, are responsible for this big attack on Earth. Right. And they have to go into the an uncharted part of space called the Expanse to basically find the Zindi and stop them. Ah, okay. And the reason I love this season is because this is basically Star Trek's answer to 9-11 and the war on terror. Mm, right. So, whilst it was happening, though. Well, pretty much straight after, because we think we established that season one was it's 2001. Like, yeah, damage was ah, broadcast. Yeah, okay, so they were writing it as it was happening. So, this was basically, so basically, you have this big event at the end of season two, which is effectively their answer to 9-11. 9-11 itself. Yeah. And then you have... Effectively, the whole season three is there is Star Trek's take on the war on terror, the search mm. for Bin Laden, and basically mm. sort of the moral Sunday, the legalities of it, and basically the extremes that you know we went to on this on in our time, and what they're going to to basically get to the bottom of what's yeah. going on and taking out these aliens who are going basically going to destroy. Yeah. So like Florida that. has never existed in Star Trek timeline <laughs> if yeah. it got wiped out at this point. Well, you know, they probably rebuilt it. But, <laughs> but it's, it's, it, we all watched 24 when it first We aired, did. And that aired after 9-11. Yeah, just after. And they cut the pilot to cut out this plane exploding uh, on BBC because it happened after the, after the show. Remember, yeah. yeah, they took out the shot of the plane exploding in the pilot. And, you know, Jack Bauer's methods were very kind of almost ahead of its time, which is like, torture is cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and I think you've got like that 24 like Jack Bauer aspect to, to the Archer character here as well you know just like whatever means is necessary to is, win and this is the other reason why I thought you know this would be a good episode for you to watch is because you know, you've just watched the pilot where you have this very optimistic sort of top button done up everyone's you know mm. buy the book and we're all like we're, going, we're explorers and we're you know I'm really optimistic and look hopeful about what we're going to find and then you cut in straight into this where it's like, what the fuck happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I really got that impression. It's like you're <laughs> compromising all over the place. You're, you're really, and I really kind of, it was, it was not clear from the pilot that the, the prime directive had not been written yet. Mm-hmm. But here we are. Very much, the prime directive has not been written no. yet. We have not set that down. <laughs> the rule book's gone out the window. And yeah, you're, we are basically doing what we need to survive. Yeah, yeah. As a species. Um, and it, it did feel a little bit like uh, Starship Troopers. Uh, let's go back to Paul Verhoeven, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the, the master, like you know, who hurled a comet at uh, San Diego <laughs> in Starship Troopers. I wiped off, like you know, the whole people. There. Not San Diego. <laughs> what is funny? San Diego. <laughs> I actually felt this was more relatable than Broken Bow because this felt closer to now in terms of the real really compromised morals of the kind of political world we now live uh, you know with these characters being forced to do uh, some very morally murky things just really interesting seeing that happening to a Starfleet crew as yeah. characters yeah so let's rewind say so this was broadcast on the 21st of April 2004 uh, written by Phyllis Strong uh, who wrote lots of episodes for Voyager and Enterprise and was a co-producer for Enterprise she's done absolutely nothing since whatsoever she was like this was the last episode she she's ever like, wrote this is my story to tell for <laughs> the series and she's she's done nothing else since I'm not quite sure whatever happened to her that's a bit weird uh, directed by James L. Conway who also directed the Broken Bow pilot as well so he's directed all of the episodes that we're looking at today um, Matt I felt like you must have felt when you watched First yeah. Contact with this or being thrown well, in the deep end. thrown in at the absolute deep end I, I mean yeah I was kind of like, like First Contact because when we spoke about right? no I'm talking about First Contact when we spoke about First Contact yeah. at the time when at that time you'd obviously not watched any of Best of Both Worlds or anything like that you were commenting that although you thought it was Sorry. all very exciting and good and everything because you hadn't got any of that backstory you were yeah. like what? because they were literally <laughs> immediately like the Borg is here and we've got to fight them like, you were like the Borg, Borg. <laughs> ooh like, so I kind of felt like you must have felt there being but what I did think when I was watching previously on Star Trek Enterprise was wow this all looks way more exciting than uh, Broken Valley <laughs> so straight away I, I was in like yeah. uh, just through that yeah, I was seeing, let's see how much I can catch up on. But, I mean, unlike those movies, that didn't really have an excuse where it was mm. obviously a choice to be like, let's start these narratives in a way that may require catch-up. This, obviously, I knew I was jumping yes. into a third season yeah, yeah, of an yeah, ongoing yeah. show. So, And it has just been lucky that every show so far has been so episodic. And now this is one that is more ongoing. But um, it was enough to kind of like, I think after a few minutes, I was kind of like gathering like they're in dire straits. It was really, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, really yeah. interesting seeing the crew kind of stripped of everything. So like the kind of ship is down, tech is down, having to rely on each other with their wits to survive. And even uh, though I barely knew them at this point, I was like, that's an interesting scenario to be like, let's just cut everything off. 
and they're in really bad situation they have to make some tough choices so and no lights again yeah no, <laughs> lights. no lights but I also like the fact that I mean you really get the sense of the, the seriousness of the situation where they're protecting the leader like T'Pol is next in line after the yeah. king is dead essentially and they're just saying this is a dangerous room for you to be in you better move away and uh, I, I really get the you get the gravity of the situation from the fact they sent a Paul upstairs like uh, from the from the engineering section where she's reviewing what the damage mm. is I thought that was really right, you're good. captain now yeah I, I, you get so much more from those little hints than you do with any like somebody welding off screen you know mm. sparks flying <laughs> I, I always assume that's what's happening because the thing is that I'm always thinking about what's going off just off screen to make the effects happen in right, reality yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like yeah it's just so good shh <laughs> yeah it's like a being few commercial um, <laughs> so things re- seem really serious don't they we're told there's 14 dead on like board and there's not literally enough. body <laughs> not enough Twenty four dead in Damascus just yesterday Liam <laughs> and why am I laughing about that like <laughs> but there's there's bodies just lying around like you know just really women and children look in the world of Star Trek Enterprise things are getting serious not like in the real world right like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the like, time well, this yeah. is broadcast all, all we'll the well stuff with like the different alien species having a chat I was like okay this is yeah, yeah, yeah I was the same yeah. that would probably be a bit like, well, like who's the but also and... but the Zindi uh, the person who comes in the first he's like, basically the guy from Killer Instinct Super Nintendo oh <laughs> wait the which character what the, the guy with bug the, like, the bug man <laughs> was, bug he, man. Was, he, was he from Killer Instinct there's uh oh there's the cyborg guy Fulgore He's, he's a cyborg of dreads. <laughs> I may be maybe oversaying this, but I just thought he looked like a, a catch from a Super Nintendo game. Yeah, now I can see him in a beat 'em up. <laughs> I can see him beat 'em up. That's right. Yeah. He's basically your 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 cheat code uh, guy character. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, all of the kind of yeah council of aliens kind of thing going on. I was a bit kind of like what found acting, that. I mean, like to act in the layers of makeup, um, you could probably get away with a lot. These guys didn't get away with it. <laughs> And there's lots more references to the time travel again, isn't yeah. there, during that kind of stuff. And I, I must admit... It's another time-travelling um, species from the pilot. Yeah, 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 yeah. So basically, once again, we're, it, it, I think it's, it tries to play on that, you know, how concrete is your evidence and... Um, yeah. Have you got a UN resolution? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, they seemed... Uh, what was quite interesting is considering... It, things they seem the enterprise seem to be in very dire straits. The council of opposing Carvanians did seem quite diplomatic about the whole situation. Oh, these are the kind of people you want to be up against. Yeah, yeah I was like, <laughs> we, oh, can, we can play dirty against these well, guys. They gave Archer. They gave Archer back straight away. Oh, they were like, oh, stop torturing him. How awful! Give him back. <laughs> like, they were just like, oh, these don't think I just see that. He was, you know, he's in like fucking Sea World after that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. that weird turtle thing. Like, uh, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Archer said that he's been tortured. He's looking quite bad and bruised, so that was quite nice. That was like, very yeah. Jack Barry. Well, you say yeah. nice in terms of like I like people. I like him Scott Bakula with bruised. Yeah, 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 yeah. Scott battered. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as you said, I mean, the big thing about this episode, and I presume the reason you've chosen it, Greg. What's the second is, charity? Is, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, is this? Yeah. Is that? No, I was Matt. like, I was like, again, yeah. another one. Is yeah. it every single episode that Trip and Tapal get their kill? <laughs> oh yeah, so, so that's um. I was that, like, so this is a thing. That's is a it? thing. <laughs> Not yeah. since Miami Vice 2006 have we seen such gratuitous shower scenes. <laughs> 
Um, so that was a bit of a surprise thing. That I was like, I. So yes, fat is a thing. Okay, all right. Um, and yeah, I presume the reason you've chosen this is because the big crux of the episode is the fact that Archer is forced to do something very unstarfleet. Well, he's forced, but it's still his choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he, he, is, yeah, he has yeah. every, every chance. But to he he decides not. he's forced. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's is the like you know, and even he has that because he has that. I love that scene where he has with Flux, where he's like, "Have you ever yeah. made a decision?" That was the scene with the cool lighting, where it's just all in the dark. And, and he's and just like, "I'm about to cross that line." Yeah, yeah. And, and, he, and he really I've does decided. Um, because what was interesting to me was because I haven't really watched any of Enterprise before this, is at this stage because I wasn't hugely invested in the characters of Enterprise. I was watching it going, well, they're the bad guys. They're horrible. Like, yeah, I was watching it going, like, these poor guys who have, like, come across have been perfectly nice. It's like, give us your warp coil. It's like, well, well, we... Well, we what do you want fucking your interest? We'll give you a bunch of food or something while you're stranded here to die. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, God, that was horrible when he turns around and says, like, look, we've left you some food, mate. And he's like, we're we're three years away from home. That's not... Oh, well... See you later. Well, I thought that guy they leave stranded, like, this could be Enterprise's space scene, because I was like, that guy could come back as a car. <laughs> yes. They find him three years later when they're finally getting home. It's like, you? I'm going to say, like, how conditioned I was by Next Generation and Voyager. At the point, in my notes, I literally wrote down um, the warp coil. I thought this episode would be about taking it. And then five minutes later, oh, it is. <laughs> And I just basically, I was so convinced that Archer, you know, when he says like, oh, oh I can't take your walk call, he'd be like, take the high moral ground and not do this. And then I realised, oh shit, this is Enterprise in a nutshell, essentially. It's like people who have to make the hard choice yeah. about survival and like putting their mm. morals completely to one side. There's not going to be a last minute bailout here. Yeah, I was the same as you. I assumed yeah. there would be a last minute kind of moment where he'd go, oh no, shouldn't do this. And then they would go, oh, you can have yeah. it anyway. I love the fact there was not that last minute yeah, U-turn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, think, that, it's that classic uh, moral quandary that Trek does so well, but in the case where they're having to do the other thing. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, and I think that's what, because this episode that has got its fair share of backlash where there are lots of people out there who say it's just doing it for shocked va- shock value. Gene Rodenbury would be turning his grave, and yes, he, he probably would. <laughs> I don't know. I, but think, I, mean, I it's feel sh- that it's, it's what's, that what's, thing, isn't it? yeah, and I think what Star Trek has always been great at is, you know, making us question our morals, and it has been a reflection on, mm. you know, the human race. And I think this is when both we're birth to Paul's storyline in this yeah, episode yeah. as well. The difference is, it's we not a betrayal get, of character. No, it's, it's the character in every aspect. Bad. Other characters. Yeah, do you not think, Greg, that those people who criticise this episode are perhaps missing the point? Because the whole thing with this is it is a prequel. And, I mean, we kind of discussed this, didn't we, on our Vision of Trek supplemental with um, Paul Sung, where we were saying, if you look at the history of Star Trek, it's very much a case of it has to get far worse before it gets better. And you, I just saw it as, oh, this, this is, is in the worse. bad bit. This yeah. is the bit before they have the Federation of Planets, before they have the Prime Directive, before all that's nailed down. And this is the horrible shit that has yeah. to happen to and get there. Even the Vulcan backstory is that they had severe shit happen before they became really yeah. light and they, they, they uh, repressed all emotion. 
like every every sort of species goes through this phase. We've had World War Three to get us into the war flight. Mm. We need the Zindi War to get us to the Prime Directive. So there are like lessons to be learned from like severe hardship. And uh, I may be wrong, Greg, but the Romulan War would that have happened in the later seasons of Enterprise if it had kept going? Yes. Right. Okay. So they would have led up to because that's meant to happen as well, isn't it? Before the forming of yes. the Federation. Yes. Is, is that the, yeah, the, the catalyst for the Federation forming? Yeah. The Federation itself is a, is a group of planets that group together, not just Starfleet yeah. of, of Earth. No, it is Earth, Vulcan, Andor, and Tella. Yeah. Yeah. So, because this is the impression I get that the plan for the rest of Enterprise was to explore the kind of Earth Romulan War. Yeah, and then and the, the formation of Archer was supposed to be key in forming the Federation. Right. Which, right. So that makes yeah to me that makes perfect sense that you know presumably if they would have been able to continue the series would have just got darker and darker and like you know kind of in especially when but deep ended, in war ended in light though ended, yeah ended so that would have been the point of it yeah that would have been quite the amazing moment like at the end of it where he's giving sort of over to this like new enlightened body like. Mm. Well, I think that's what uh, Roger Lay Jr. was kind of talking about um, when we interviewed him, uh, saying that, you know, he he was talking about the lost plans for Enterprise and actually made a documentary about kind of what would have been. Mm. And it was kind of, you know, cut down before its time. And, you know, I think maybe the reason why people criticise this is they weren't able to see what it was kind of actually building up to, maybe. Unfinished story. Yeah. And you mentioned to Paul as well, um, having, she's now some like crazed drug addict. Again, when when have we seen that in Star Trek? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I really thought it was a train spiking moment. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of ironic that we only had people crawling on the ceiling of the last episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What what do you think about that? Is that a proper full-on character arc for her, is it? Yeah, I, I think so. And it is something that she she still has to deal with it in later seasons. We're always... taking like a drug to feel emotions, exactly. Which is a really interesting idea so, in itself. That she's... so there was an episode in season two where she, they came across a, a group of radicalized Vulcans, effectively who embraced emotion right. and so, effectively yeah and um <laughs> and basically <laughs> and uh, to Paul get sort of she mind melds because mind melds are still very taboo in. The right, okay. Era, and she mind melds with one, and basically the episode is called Stigma, and it's Trek's answer to the AIDS pandemic, where she's now infected, and right. she's got this stigma about her, and that is yeah Star Trek's answer to AIDS, and she's now to get get her emotion, she's now having to inject this substance. Right. So is this episode the point where that story it's, reaches ahead? Yes. And she's like, I've got to stop. And now, yeah, and now she's effectively going to be trying to rehabilitate. Mm-hmm. I really liked Flox in this episode, the way he handles that, though. Yeah, he was... You know, I, my, 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 my reservations about his, like, the choices of the character in terms of the way he talks and that he feels very too Voyager for this, mm-hmm. for this era just kind of swept by the wayside when it, the way he deals with um, T'Pol's character at this point. Like, to... Yeah, no, I mean, he's a lot better, I think, yeah. in this episode. I mean, I think everyone is kind of stepping up to the plate uh, a bit more in this. And, you know, everyone seems a bit more grounded um, to have a bit more grit about them uh, at this stage because they've all been 
clearly by whatever's happened to them in this season and kind of previous seasons kind of all made them a bit darker I mean, especially Archer I mean at, at this stage it kind of almost seems kind of close to kind of Jason Isaac's Lorca mm. in a kind of, you know that slightly kind of very intense kind of almost flirting with war, war criminal type kind of like behaviour it was really good Greg that you explained who those 7 million were who died because he turns around and says oh they wiped out 7 million of our people and I was like what? Yeah. Like, and then to hear that I mean yeah that that is obviously a huge huge cost uh, that's kind of gone down it, it does make sense why now he would be so kind of far and gone one of the point. 7 millions one of the 7 million I should point out is Tripp's sister Oh, oh Trip sister, not right. not, not Bakula's sister. No, so there is a personal stake. Right, yeah, right, well. right, right. For him, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's just busy. no Denise Richards. That's the <laughs> <laughs> like. Uh, but you know, he's just busy getting in showers, like in Absolutely. nightmares. Like, so it's fine. <laughs> I think that that shower scene was really well like done. I, I yeah, was, yeah, it was. Yeah, I was yeah. like, you know, getting a good stroke on, and then like, <laughs> and then and he turned to a vampire, and like, what the fuck. <laughs> So, uh, damage. Do we think that was a good choice? Yes, absolutely. And I think it absolutely flew by. Like it very much felt like part two of a two-parter because it felt like all the action together. But even with that happening, it felt like it was half hour long or something. And also, it also felt even though it might have been officially part two of a two-parter, felt. You, you didn't feel like this was the end. Yeah, no. Was like, and as a counterpoint for us just seeing the pilot to see how far all those characters have come. Yeah. Already. Yeah. And how different they are. Paul? It's a good choice. I really liked it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, based on damage, are we more convinced to yeah, watch yes. some more? Yes. Yeah. I'm like all about seasons three and four I think this is where it's at yeah would you say that's where it's at I think Greg? so yeah I mean so season three you have this yeah this long standing arc season four they start they do a lot of three-parters they uh, break the mould a little bit and they sort of try to do a lot more um, bigger stories on a slightly smaller scale if that makes sense right and that's where they they do a lot more referencing to um, original Trek so once you've Kind of like I say, there is a there's a two part where they explain the Klingon forehead conundrum. Uh, there's it takes one. two old episodes. Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, someone sat down going, "Right, listen." <laughs> there's another one where they um they get Brent Spiner in for three episodes. Oh really? As, um, what as Data? As Arik Soon, the ancestor of Data's creator, right, Dr. Newman okay. Soon. Yeah. Um, and that's all about genetics. And they talk about the eugenics war, and of course, name drop someone called Khan, whoever that is. Um, yeah. So okay. season, season four, season four was when the ratings were going to shit. So and just they like were just, they were just trying to. I think and they were they to like shit. appeal to yeah. fan service, just anything they could. And there's an episode right. where they end up on the original bridge, isn't there? But so in in the Mirror Darkly, they do a Mirror Universe episode, yeah. um, but a two-parter Mirror Universe episode of oh. where the ship for Define from the original series, which got caught in the Folian web, gets sent back in time to the Mirror Universe, and they board it. Oh. And, uh, and that ship is the one which is referenced in the Discovery episode when they go to the Mirror Universe and they talk about trying to find the Defiant. That is the Defiant. Oh, alright. Okay. That's, well, that's all gone. quite intriguing. Like, it's um, a web. It's a web. I mean, yeah. It's all connected. Uh, I've got to say, watching watching this episode, I, I do think it's a shame it didn't get to finish its 
run because it does seem like the they were getting quite ambitious five, with it. Six would be great. Yeah, I mean, certainly I was intrigued by kind of the little seeds that I, Roger dropped when we spoke to him about I it. I think the thing is with this show, for me personally, it's like the ideas are great. Mm. It's just unfortunately the execution. And I really, it's it, people to this day do not can put their finger on why this show doesn't work. It's the, the you know, the, I, oh, I could put my finger on the, the characters are not engaging enough. Mm. I think it's really, really weird how we actually gravitated towards the next generation cast, even though they they took three or four seasons to get going. Yeah, yeah. But I'm we, very but true. But still, from the pilot, you kind of just got what these people were about. I think the fact that the Enterprise crew, you can't quite latch onto them quite straight away, is the failing of this show. You just, I, I for me personally, I didn't kind of gravitate towards anybody on this this crew straight away. Like even with Voyager, mm. and that's why he didn't kind of you know, get but into the show. It's funny how that might be because the characters in TNG are more broadly drawn, so you can latch on to each one. Oh, he's the Klingon, he's the robot. And whereas this one, they may be more in depth as they go on, but on the surface, that there wasn't anything really to like separate them out. Mm. So what you're saying is, make poor Foss captain, <laughs> and then you you'd be just a whole ship of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Dog mutiny. Oh, I believe no. they were planning for season five. There was no, there was talk of, there was talk of an episode where they encounter an alien race who speak in a language that only Porthos could understand. Are you being serious? Yeah. And um, oh. basically they were gonna to have to use Porthos to communicate with the alien race. Oh. It could have been the greatest was this episode. In, in, in while they were spiraling from the rings, I'm like, shit, <laughs> anything, anything. <laughs> they were like, guys, you, we, when you hear what we've got Our for season next season, five premiere. it's like, do yeah, another line of actually, cocaine and tell me what you got. <laughs> they, were act, they actually even got to the point where, um, at the last convention I was at, I um, asked Dominic Keaton a question, which was... Uh, Dominic Keaton. It was Malcolm Reed. You probably didn't notice, because um, these were obviously directed by uh, Conway, but um, a lot of the Enterprise episodes are directed by Voyager and Next Gen alumni. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Robert Duncan McNeil, Tom Paris, does a shed load of... Oh, you mean cast members? Yes. Right, Sorry. okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 And I asked him, oh, was that never... Was that something that, you know, you wanted to... Did any of your cast want to direct Enterprise episodes? And he was straight up, yes, I really wanted to direct one. Mm. But they wouldn't let me because of how badly the show was doing. And they were even getting to the point where they were actually looking to find a boy band to put on the bridge or not in the bridge in the, the canteen area to entertain that's how desperate they were getting it's like Chris Meyer walking in the next it's like Chris yeah. what are you doing here <laughs> and, and that's why none of the uh, they wouldn't let um, any of any of like the Enterprise cast direct because they had no experience oh. and they, can he come and do Discovery now so, if it's the cast of the last team. show directing the next show um, you know what I've just realised this <laughs> season four would have been starting in the latter half of 2004, the movie that was released in the summer of 2004, directed by Star Trek alumni, Jonathan Frakes, was Thunderbirds, <laughs> with the theme tune by Boy Band, Busted, <laughs> would Busted have been the band to be playing in the... and get Frakes in to direct that episode. <laughs> yeah, NSYNC were in Attack of the Clones, apparently. Oh, really? What? Yeah, that was the big rumour. Like that, that Playing? Just, well, Jedi. Oh, right. yeah. no, I thought you were playing in like a cantina or something. <laughs> no, 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 right? no, they were like uh, cast as extras in in um, the Geonosian like battle arena. Scene. Right, they're okay. in there somewhere, just bye bye bye, and all over the place. Oh. 
<laughs> oh man, God, that is oh, that's it, terrible. What a year 2002 was. I know a fucking day <laughs> and this <laughs> 2002. See, it, it got better. It got better. Blockbuster season. Well, it's like nobody better. knows what music is these days. So, uh, it's <laughs> uh, so it seems that we're all uh, far more sold on Enterprise by this episode. Uh, now and uh, yeah I mean it definitely intrigues me in terms of seeing more if things can get this dramatic and intense certainly um, but you know I do agree with your reservations Paul about the uh, about the show but I do think Scott Bakler is good as Archer and you know I think in this episode in particular he's doing some really strong work um, showing his conflicted nature and yeah. stuff I can see from your face that you disagree. <laughs> Do you wish he'd taken a fucking quantum leap out of there? He's <laughs> no Sir Patrick Stewart, is he? <laughs> I, uh, I mean, Scott, please come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Scott is doing fantastic work, like, but it's just when you get the conflict, conflict, like he's just you're not you're not buying it in the same way. Thinking first contact. Mm. Yeah, he doesn't quite change what he's doing as much for all. No, no, he really is the same. Like he's all barking orders. And he's I got some bruises on him, though. <laughs> he's got a couple of prosthetic bruises on him. But Gives like, an edge. But <laughs> as much edge as much edge as Tom Paris. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Oh, I don't know. He's just not got the gravitas of uh, poor Foss, has he? <laughs> Scott back and start sniffing some masters, it'll be fine. <laughs> no, I, I really I yeah, I think um he I really thought that the intention episode was absolutely fine. In terms of like I was not expecting it to do what it did. Yeah. In fact in fact I wrote a note to say it I can't you know, oh I wish this episode was about this. That'd be something new. And it did do the thing that I yeah. I did not expect. It went there. Um, but it also it still still felt a little bit kind of um, you know uh, neutered mm. and I think it is nice to be surprised by a franchise that already at that point had been going for 30 plus years yeah. and so you know it must be commended for that uh, but yeah that's that's Enterprise um, you know we'll we'll see at some point if we've watched more of mm-hmm. this down the line kind of thing but thank you very much for thank coming you, and defending it Greg uh, we enjoyed that uh, oh I do think there's something about about the uh, Starfleet kind of um, sort of military personnel that you kind of uh, oh the Makos yeah the Makos because I noticed that the badges were different mm-hmm. to the, uh, the the regular Starfleet uniform and they won't beam aboard the, uh, the ship they're going to take over and steal the warp drive from. Do you want to say a bit about that? So basically, it's all part of the, uh, the season three um, thing. At the beginning, when they go into the expanse, um, they're effectively um, Star Trek's answer to the Marines. And basically, they get put on the ship as like a, de- a, de- a detachment of these Mako troops on the ship to basically kick ass. Mm-hmm. And then you do get some great episodes where they, um, they start to sort of tread into. Uh, Malcolm Reed's territory because he's the security mm. officer and you know he's always very much I'm the, the gun ho guy and and then you get a bit of conflict where they these guys are all proper they're, they're the army you know they're, they're military but they don't really have much space experience and you've got conflicts with the Enterprise crew where they're like well no you haven't actually been in space and dealt with aliens you're just trigger hands so yeah they're, they're sort of like spec ops on 
and they do have their own uh, commander as well I don't think it was in the episode but yes Michael Bean not quite <laughs> yeah, that would be so fucking awesome if Michael if Hicks was well you needed charge. the work so <laughs> yeah. if Hicks was in charge of the uh, the Makos on the Enterprise that would be amazing oh, as well as a new captain there yeah. yeah Michael Bean would be amazing like, he would be great yeah. why doesn't he get any work he's so great did you know in The Rock uh, yeah, yeah. He, was head of the, he was head of the Navy SEALs in The Rock as right. well. Okay. Like, so he's been like head of like Sulaco Special Forces. So he was in one film in the nineties, like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> apart from his cutscenes in Judgment Day. Of course, Planet Terror. Yeah, Planet Terror. Yeah. Of course, yeah. he's in. But yeah, I mean, oh, I don't... Bean is like Duo Renaissance. Like you know, Definitely. if uh, the guy from Crime <laughs> Story, um, what's his name? Get one. Dennis Farina? No. Dex? No. <laughs> he ain't got okay. no relations. If, if like, um, Abrams of the Defence. Oh, Stephen Lang. Stephen yeah, yeah, Lang. Yeah. Only get... for Avatar yeah. films. <laughs> and don't, don't Breathe. Don't, don't Breathe. Yeah. And reading someone's autobiography as well. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger's autobiography <laughs> read for the audiobook. Why is Why did Arnie read that? Uh, well, I can't bother, I guess. What the fuck? Like, how could you not read that? You read that in his voice? Why yeah, can't of course, he read of course it in I his did. Voice? Of course I did. I mean, I presume Stephen Lang's not doing an impression, <laughs> like, in his audiobook version. I probably would want to hear his impression of Arnie. I mean, I find it that's a really odd thing that happens where autobiographies or famous people are then read by another famous person. That's stupid. Just like, like, I'm really um, interested in this guy's life. Morrissey's autobiography, quite cleverly read by David Morrissey, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is quite hilarious idea. That's really good. Uh, all available on Audible. Why don't you sponsor us? <laughs> <laughs> when you uh, plug in with Audible, <laughs> but I, I do, I do like the fact that you mentioned the Matco, the um, what they called the Makos, Makos, because I think they were they stood out for me in this episode particularly as like they are operating alongside Starfleet, but potentially not yeah. under the same command. It's like Absolutely. definitely some room for some stories there. Enterprise strike team. Yeah, essentially <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yeah one other question I want to ask you Greg the the people that they nick the warp coil off mm-hmm. am I wrong saying that the main guy from that has been in in Star Trek before I believe it's Casey Biggs who is um, the gut uh, the cut. um Casey Biggs, yes, he is. I need to know who he is. What is in? The, the, so I'm talking about the character rather than the actor. Oh, oh no, no, the character. No, no, it's the first right. time. Right. Okay. It's, okay. Is he the same species as the Doctor? No. Yeah, he looks very similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. He does the same. Sorry, that's a thing we could watch. I've actually got the name of their race here. Which oh. Is an Illy- Illyrian. Illyrian. There we go. So, there irrelevant, basically. <laughs> yeah. basically. Yeah. Another, just... another generic. Let's put another. Prosthetic on another part <laughs> of the face. Yeah, and nothing else. So he, that is. A... I think that makes it easier to fuck them over, doesn't it? Really, because it, it would have been harder if it was somebody we knew. Yeah, we knew who they were. Yeah. Who are yeah. you? Oh, I don't care. We're fucking robbing you. <laughs> I mean, by this stage, the whole thing of every alien race on Star Trek just basically being human, apart from some prosthetic makeup, is getting a bit weird, isn't it? Like, it's just like, why? Why do all the aliens look like us in body? Like, <laughs> well. That is explained in the next gen episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it all gets explained. We've got more to explore. We don't what know what we're fucking talking about. You should know this by now. It's our five-year mission. So there's anything to sort of say, kind of to wrap up this special episode that's focused on Enterprise. What, what, how did it all come to a, like a, an end here? 
because this is 2004, the ratings are failing, mm-hmm. what, what happened at the end of the Enterprise? Spoilers. Well, <laughs> no, not without saying what actually happened, but like what happened oh, right. to Star Trek. Like, the, yeah, what we've talked, to we've, we've covered Trek 09 as being the kind of like, this is a reboot, okay. it's, been after, it's been out of the wilderness for a little while. How did it get to that point? Because this is after Nemesis. So yes, this is after Nemesis. Um, and basically, I think that, that was it, because after Nemesis, that was it. There was no... This was all that there was in terms mm. of Star Trek on that. And, and I, think if, I think, again, this just comes down to the ratings dropped. Um, who knows? You know, there's so many reasons why that could be. And it wasn't a, it wasn't abrupt um, end. They had planned all sorts of um, season five stuff. There was even talk of getting Shatner in for so a, we've heard, a couple yeah. of episodes. Um, and yeah, it just got cut. Ninety eight episodes, two episodes short of being syndicated. Mm. And you were a big Star Trek fan at this time. Right? Yeah, I remember just being really gutted. Was there a thought but, of being like, "Oh, that's it"? That, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's like, it. Oh, okay. It was just getting good and. You know, I I was a bit naive and I just couldn't believe, you know, because I thought season three was amazing, season four's got some really great episodes. What what's happened? And and I was just in my naivety, just didn't really understand well, why is that? Yeah, so you were watching it like on E4 at 10 a.m. in the morning. And like, <laughs> exactly. What? Wow. Like, and this is prime time. Why is this getting cut? Like, yeah. So how did this feel back then in terms of? Because I I feel comparatively it's a bit like because I'm a big Doctor Who fan and mm-hmm. obviously what they're referred to the years between 1989 and 2005 when Doctor Who's big that's a kind of blip on the radar I've watched it's, exactly. it's, it's, it's included but it is still within the wilderness years because it's just one episode that is not one episode is not enough sustenance for 50 oh, years come on it's got some estimate like, uh, but I, I like it I like it don't get me wrong but you know it's, it's it's not enough. It's still referred to as the wilderness years. That wasn't enough to keep us going. You know, I mean, you know, if you were addicted to crack, you wouldn't go one hit in 15 years. Oh, Doctor Who to crack. No matter how good it was. That is what Doctor Who is to me. Yeah, you, you were a drunk batchess by this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, well, well, it's strange because you're saying the time after Enterprise is like Star Trek wilderness years, but it's really not that long because it's not. It's what, four years? Well, five, it's four barely that years, because, yeah. well, I mean, it is technically, but barely that because don't forget. Uh, Abrams' first Trek film was going about 2008, yeah. which meant they were making it like 2007. I remember, I, I remember so, hearing about it pretty much, pretty much within the year of Enterprise. Right, that makes sense. Going, I remember yeah. hearing. Oh no, there is going to be a new Star Trek film. I think there was a little bit of period of oh, is this going to be a next gen one or is it going to be yeah something else? And then it just came out that it's going to be Young Kirk and Spock. And, mm. Right, yeah, I just remember waiting. I remember. I, I remember um, actually doing um, being in um, Bournemouth at the start of my film degree when I think the first teaser poster for it had come out of like a, um, a blue, blue and yellow yeah. bit of material with the Star Trek insignia in the middle. middle. And it was this is the greatest time of life. And, was, and then it wasn't until I finished that degree and was on my second degree doing my paramedic work. But the actual film came out, so it was a good right. Yeah, okay. Three and a half really years. I, that, was a, that was the ultimate teased poster, wasn't it? It, it was. It, it just basically dropped a lot of questions. Is this going to be like very retro? Retro because it had the colours, mm-hmm. it had the the styling styling of like the original series, but it also just felt very new. 
and had dropped all it did was drop a year which tended to be the wrong year but it it did it for me it just conjured a lot of like excitement just from that poster alone it was such a great yeah it was one of the greatest teaser posters of all time in that sense I think yeah Mm-hmm. Kept the kept the fires burning. Well, I suppose it's just more like yeah. it is more like the gap between like Die Another Day and Casino Royale, isn't it? The yeah. cover is a shorter, and yeah, there's a big changeover, but you know quite quickly that something else is coming. It's not not like what we went through with Doctor Who, Greg. You okay. had it easy, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, so. That's it for Enterprise for now, at least. I'm sure we'll return to it later in the series. Um, But next month, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery, because season one's now finished. We've all watched it all. Paul, you finished it yet? Oh, not yet. Okay, well, you'll have to do that by the time we actually talk about it. Um, And we're going to be rejoined by previous guest, Sean McCoughlin, who's going to come and kind of do a retrospective of season one of Discovery with us and kind of round out our first go round of the Star Trek TV series. Nice little bookend, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's been a pleasure to have you, Greg. Where can we find all the hot news about Ambush, your Star Trek fan film? On our Facebook page is going to be the most uh, up-to-date outlook. Right, okay. If you just type in Ambush into uh, Facebook, you'll find it. Excellent. Okay, we'll do that. And, uh, yeah, just keep refreshing every five minutes for the release date (laughs) of that film. We we do very much look forward to uh, seeing that. It's going to be great. Um, But until next time, uh, if you could... Follow us on all the social medias. We are uh, at Spotlight Pod. We are on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. We're on it all. We try and keep kind of content different on all of the kind of social medias. And, you know, we do put all kinds of extra stuff on there, news about the episodes and various different things. So go and check it out. You can send us an email at... SpotlightPod at gmail.com And if you could review and rate us on iTunes it is really cool I don't really we, we say it helps I don't really know if it does but we like seeing your reviews and we like getting five stars and if you don't think we're worth five stars just don't bother <laughs> just take it easy what's the point why take the time out of your day unless you go rate us the full five I, you know do what you no one goes all that trouble just to leave a three star review <laughs> exactly <laughs> just you know if you're not going to leave us five just live long and prosper all the way out of there don't worry about it uh, so until next time that's all from me Liam that's all from me Paul Wilson it's all from me Matt Brothers and that's all from our special guest Greg Locke and out <laughs> <laughs>